Thank you for joining for this episode of the Techspective podcast. Uh, my guest is Dan Ventura. So, Dan, if you want to give a little bit of uh, background on yourself to kick things off. Hey, Tony. Yeah, thanks for having me. My name is Dan Ventura. I'm based out of the San Francisco Bay Area. Uh, I've been with Adobe for coming up on four years now, and uh, I'm the manager of the product security incident response team at Adobe, or PCERT uh, for short. Okay. Um, well, we're going to get into more specifics about uh, you know uh, the uh, Adobe version and and how Adobe approaches a bug bounty program. But to kind of to kick things off, I I, I feel like my audience should know. <laughs> but just in case, uh, for anyone who might not be familiar, can you just kind of at a high level explain the concept of a bug bounty program? Sure, of course. Um, if we take a step back first, you know the broader, broadly accepted term is a uh, vulnerability disclosure program, and that essentially is just a a way of incentivizing and allowing externally discovered vulnerabilities to be ethically and responsibly disclosed to the company. So if you know Joe Schmo from down the street discovers a vulnerability in Photoshop, we obviously want him or her to responsibly disclose the vulnerability to us instead of uh, tweeting about it or writing a blog post, which would then subsequently lead to it being exploited in the wild, most likely. So that's what a vulnerability disclosure program is. We have a program on a platform called HackerOne um, that allows us to kind of facilitate those conversations with those external security researchers. Now, whenever there's a incentive associated with that disclosure, whether that be monetary through a, a bounty or maybe it's uh, you know reputation based, right? Maybe we'll shout them out in some kind of Adobe blog post. That's where it usually pivots into a bug bounty program. So there's usually a dollar amount associated with a certain level of severity vulnerability. Um, and that's actually how our Adobe program operates. We have a threshold um, scaling from the, based off of the CVSS score of the vulnerability being reported. The higher the CVSS score, the more amount of money that that bounty uh, would be paid out. Okay, makes sense. And I know, you know, the the debate goes back long, long, long. You know, since I've been in in security, um, in terms of trying to define that responsible disclosure. And you know, like I think amongst the white hats and even a lot of the gray hat hackers, it's like, all right, well, I'm not trying to bring the world to its knees. I don't want this to be, uh, you know, randomly exploited. So I don't want to just disclose it to the public. But, you know, once upon a time, there was also, you know, you, you might send something to the vendor and it just kind of disappeared into a black hole. And then like six months later, you're, you're thinking, hey, are they going to fix that or not? Um, and then and then you had hacker, you know, the security researchers for, you know, instead of just calling them all hackers, but you had security researchers who were like, well, then if you're not going to fix it, now I'm going to disclose it. <laughs> um, and so it's been that kind of like back and forth between the security researcher community and the vendors of, okay, now that I've disclosed this to you, what is the acceptable time frame for you to address this before I, you know, kind of say, all right, it seems like you're not doing anything about this. Like, you know, you're, you're, and, 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 and I think even in the case of some bug bounty programs, there've been situations where, it's like, all right, I know you've paid me for this, but I kind of expected you to fix it as well. Like you didn't, you know, you you, you didn't just pay me to buy my silence. <laughs> yeah, that's a really good point you mentioned. Um, 
I'm a strong believer in that street cred and reputation in the bug bounty space is a is a big big component, almost more so than the bounties themselves. Um, and so for the Adobe program specifically, we we definitely are um, willing to partner on what we call coordinated disclosures. So in theory, best case scenario, Adobe publishes a fix. And then if the researcher that found the vulnerability is also interested in writing a blog post or talking about his or her experience uh, working with the Adobe program, or maybe their thought process into discovering the vulnerability, we would love to partner and push out a coordinated disclosure at the same time. Um, the reason we do that, obviously, is so that we're not discussing the details of the vulnerability before the cust our customers would have a fix available to them. Um, and also so that the researcher is able to kind of take credit for the CVE or the the security bulletin that gets published uh, related to their finding. Right. Um, all right. Well, you know, so like like you already talked about, you know, Adobe Adobe has had programs in place and, and worked with the the broader community for um, years. I mean, Adobe, I think, is, uh, you know, I would say one of the leaders are kind of on the forefront of that kind of working with the community to uh, identify and resolve software bugs. Um, the reason, you know, kind of the reason I wanted to have you on, though, is to talk about this, the 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 newer program you guys have with the Adobe VIP private, the private bug bounty program. So give me some details of that. Sure. Yeah. So again, like I mentioned, we do have two programs on the HackerOne platform. Um, HackerOne basically acts as a watering ground or a watering hole for all of the security researchers. Anybody who's interested in participating and bug hunting and maybe making some money on the side can go to HackerOne.com, make an account, and then they'll have access to all the plethora of programs, not just Adobe's, but there's a ton of other companies that host programs on that platform. Uh, so one day a researcher could spend time bug hunting for Adobe. Another day a researcher could spend time bug hunting for Salesforce. And, and and so forth. Um, so specific to Adobe, we do have a publicly accessible VDP, the Vulnerability Disclosure Program, where we will accept any and all uh, vulnerabilities impacting our assets or our customers. Um, we do also have a private invite-only bug bounty program that's called Adobe VIP. The reason we do a private bug bounty program for right now is just because we are uh, in the process of scaling, we are making available to these invite-only researchers um, some pre-release builds, um, access to our products that typically would require some license or some subscription code. So by proving yourself on the HackerOne platform, we invite the researchers that we feel would be most uh, beneficial to our VIP program, and then they would get access to pre-release builds, and, and they'd be able to play around with some of our products without necessarily having to pay a, a commercial price to get access to it. Okay, so that's interesting. So, you know, like you talked about uh, on on Hacker One, or you know, they're, they're, that's that's just one one vendor and one platform. But on a on, on a in in a scenario like that, where you have a community of security researchers, there is, like you mentioned, that kind of like the street cred or like, you know, you, you build up a reputation over time and, and it's like any, it's like basically anything else, you know, like if I go to like spice works, there's like, you know, basically, you know, people, people upvoting and downvoting your, your comments and you kind of build up a reputation over time as someone who says things that are wise and credible. And, you know, and I can, I can just look at your score and say, okay, well, you know, 
Dan's been on the platform for a while. He seems to know what he's talking about. Uh, I think I can rely on what he's saying as opposed to someone who's brand new who, you know, maybe, maybe they know what they're talking about. Maybe they don't, but they're unproven. Um, so, you know, so, so if I'm understanding, so you've got this hacker one community, but you're then able to take basically people who've, who've have an established track record of sorts that, you know, you, 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 you have some level of confidence in their ability and, and integrity and invite them into the Adobe VIP program to, you know, basically give them kind of early access and, and hopefully identify the kind of the lion's share of stuff before it's available to the general public of the rest of the security research community. Is that about right? That's exactly right. And, you know, our our bug bounty program and vulner, uh, vulnerability disclosure program honestly lead to some of the best findings that we have in Adobe. And so we, we really strive to reduce the barrier to entry and make it as easy as possible for our bug bounty hunters to work with us. Um, and find vulnerabilities for our products. So that's exactly why when we do like, you know, beta releases for certain products, like our new AI tools that have come out or, you know, not requiring our bug bounty hunters to spend money on a subscription to access some of our Adobe products, we'll we'll provide that upfront as long as they use that ethically and for bug bounty hunting purposes, right? Yeah, and and, and that's an interesting element I hadn't, really thought about in the past which is in order for me to do the security research on the code i have to first have it (laughs) i have to have have access to it and you know and so for you know obviously if it's a open source code open source project i can just go get that i can i can open it up review it do whatever i want but when you're talking about proprietary software there's a in, in a lot of cases, there's a, a requirement of some sort of upfront investment or, you know, unless you unless you somehow obtain <laughs> the software through other channels. But but somehow you have to acquire the software, you know, whether that's Microsoft Windows or, you know, or, or Adobe Photoshop, like you've got to get the code um, and there's a cost associated with that. So there's an investment on the part of the security researcher before they even start to look for for flaws that's exactly right too um you know i I think adobe is in a i feel blessed working on the adobe bug bounty program because you know it is a b2c you know business to consumer uh, product it gets a lot more tricky and difficult for some companies like i don't want to necessarily name drop but maybe like a service now who's more so b2b um, and so it gets harder to attract researchers who maybe use the, that product on a day-to-day basis and perform bug hunting for that, that type of service, as opposed to somebody who right. might use Photoshop in their day-to-day, uh, in their day-to-day well, life. Something like a service now or a, or a lot of other similar like software and, 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 you know, like probably the majority of, of software out there is b2b it's it's not something that like you you you're not just going to go buy it you're not going to no, nobody's yeah. nobody's online just to buy that um and so like from a security researcher perspective it's like okay well how and why would i ever have the service now software <laughs> at there, my disposal unless i was specifically going to look for flaws in service now right exactly um i i think it 
requires a lot more time investment on the security researcher side because not only do they just have to get access to the product and then they can just start applying their their security skills and, and skill sets but they also have to spend time researching the product if they're not familiar with the the asset specifically spend time researching getting familiar with how it works some of the back end uh, code of, of how that product works um, definitely takes some time as well well and some vendors and now also i do want to back up and say nothing nothing either pro or con about service now that just happened to be the name you threw in there so like yep. you know, i'm not, not we're, we're not we're not making any uh we're not implying anything about service now um but i was gonna say there there are some vendors that have it kind of it's like built into the eula to say that you know you're not allowed to do these things like you're not you're not allowed to i, I and actually I, I know of that more from a competitive intel perspective than uh than than a you know security research perspective but i've always thought that was a little shady and not really enforceable anyway where they're basically saying you know like hey you you know you you can't without our written permission like try our software against this other software i'm like I can do whatever the hell I want, you know, but, um, but, but, but to, to some extent, that's the nature of software. Like, uh, and I think most people know by now, but, you know, 10, 20 years ago, I think it was sort of, uh, uh, that was where I'm looking for, you know, like a wake up call or, or, or something like there was like, you felt like I gave you money and you gave me a thing. So now I own this software. And it's like, well, no, when you look at the, the way software is, packaged and sold in the EULA you agreed to it's always kind of like a leasing sort of situation or like you're just borrowing it you paid for the use of it but it's not yours yeah the wake up call term is definitely accurate you know i think over the last few decade or last maybe decade itself the 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 connotation with hackers and sec external security researchers looking for bugs have shifted from, you know, the, the hood up in the basement, you know, typing away on their computer to just being a nor more normal person looking, you know, looking to better the products that they use. Um, it could be an artist, you know, using one of our creative applications that just so happens to find some kind of privilege escalation vulnerability, and they don't want it to happen in the product that they use. And so just a normal person might end up, you know, turning into a bug bounty hunter and might make some money by responsibly disclosing that vulnerability to us. Yeah. Um, curious side question, maybe you don't know the answer to, but like, yeah, so I'm I, I'm more on the you know the the content and content marketing side, and I do I do a fair amount of freelancing type stuff, and you can go to you know platforms like Upwork or Fiverr and you know find find a, a content writer, and there are people who just do that, like literally all they do is the freelance you know content. Is freelance security research is that a is that a career path? Is that are, are there people out there who literally just are just winging it you know they're they're just out there you know, do, you know f f looking for security bugs in whatever platform like can you be a full-time independent contractor who just works on hacker one and and you know pay your bills for sure we have plenty of researchers that do that you know we one of the other great things about a bug bounty program is that we get to interact with you know, folks from different countries, different backgrounds, different personalities, different approaches to security. And then on top of that, ranging from hobbyists, part-time hackers that just want to, you know, improve their skills. Um, 
maybe students in a master's degree, you know, looking to do a thesis on Adobe security, and then we, you know, they end up re responsibly disclosing through the bug bounty program, all the way up to what you suggested, Tony, about the full-time hackers that are, they have a family and they provide for their family by full-time hacking. And that's what really drives me in delivering a really good experience in our bug bounty program is that some, for some, a lot of folks that th this is their livelihood. You know, I want to make sure that they are getting a great experience in the Adobe bug bounty program so that they continue to work with us and they feel that the investment that they are making into Adobe security is worth their time. Yeah. Um, one of the questions I had, and I think we've, we've, we've actually touched on some of the elements of this already um, in the, the whole conversation we just had about, you know, kind of getting access to the Adobe software, but in, you know, you, you, you've, Adobe's already had a relationship with the security researcher community with HackerOne in in having this sort of like side thing with Adobe VIP. Um, what it, like what are the benefits for Adobe and what are the benefits for security researchers who are invited to participate? That's a good question. Yeah, so in our Adobe VIP program, we do have a subset of dedicated analysts that are paying attention to that program to provide a much more uh, uh, faster and more responsive experience to our researchers. Um, it also gives them the access to some of those pre-release builds if we're going to be doing incentives. Um, the other cool thing about the Adobe VIP program that I find uh, pretty interesting is that we do monthly campaigns in the VIP program. So every single month we are offering a 2x or even 3x bounty multiplier on um, the, the biggest and the baddest vulnerabilities that have been going on in, in, in the industry. So our source of truth for those campaigns typically are um, the CISA, the government agency CISA. They put out a known exploited vulnerability list every single month. And so we're at basically for the August campaign coming up, we will list a 2X or 3X bounty payout for all of the previous month's CVEs that have been known to be exploited in the wild. Um, the reason we do that is in an effort to kind of steer our bug bounty hunters to kind of think more like adversaries. Um, it also keeps things fresh in our bounty program. Um, so researchers just don't continuously run the same scans and test the same products. It kind of gives them a little bit of a challenge to, to try and poke holes and find a proof of concept for some of the CVEs that are actually being exploited actively in the wild. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, that, that's interesting. I'll, you know, it's like, one of the things that's interesting is there's always a from a just broader like cybersecurity perspective um zero day flaws and and exploits always uh th th those are the sexy things that make headlines or whatever everyone you know it's like oh there's a zero day um and that's big news um but the underlying reality is that most attacks most successful attacks are against known vulnerabilities that have been around forever that you know you you just haven't patched or in in a lot of cases i think there's like an initial push to patch things um you know i mean i'll go back all the way back to sql slammer or whatever but like you so so yes there's a there's a there's a there's an attack or cisa puts it out on a on their on their you know known exploited vulnerabilities and so you do a push and you say okay let's go find these things and fix them but then six months from now, a year from now, you deploy a new system and you forget about that and you deploy it with an old image and now you've reintroduced the vulnerability 
And the thing is, most of the attackers have moved on. So the, the, a lot of times the attackers themselves aren't really looking for those things either. But every once in a while you get an attacker who's like, hey, you know, what if I just go back through the, uh, you know, go look at the greatest hits and uh, and play some of those again and see what see what I can find. Yeah. Um, patch management is a huge thing. And, and we actually use our bug bounty program almost as that guiding light. Um, for example, you know, let's say we get a couple of bug bounty reports suggesting that we have a few few services that are running an outdated Apache library and there's some known CVEs associated with them. We shouldn't need more than one or two of those findings to understand, hey, there looks like there's a pattern here. Let's spin up some of our internal security teams and you know, not have to necessarily rely on these ethical bug bounty hunters to find the rest of these outdated Apache libraries. We we have the capabilities internally to take those findings and then uh, extrapolate that across our Adobe network to find any other potential uh, uh, pitfall. Okay. Um, one of the other things, and again, not, this isn't specific to the uh, Adobe program per se, but one of the things that I think is interesting is you know, first of all, there, there's, and I think actually Adobe has been a target of this for years and years and years. There's this sort of like perception on the part of um, a lot of general consumers in terms of why are there any flaws in your software? Why can't you just make software that just works and doesn't have, you know, security holes? And, you know, and and this this effort to kind of educate to say look there there's no such thing as perfect code or even even if you go through and you you do a whole, a whole bunch of code analysis today and maybe you pass everything but then 3 months from now there's you know some some new way to do something that all of a sudden makes it vulnerable even though it wasn't previously and so there is no there is no such thing as perfect and one of the things that I that has always been interesting to me from from that perspective is at one point in time, I was anti as a strong word, but I was not a I was not as much a fan of the open source community because from it, it, I looked at it from a security perspective and thought, why would I want to have the code out there where everyone can see it? Now you can just find all the flaws. Then the 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 kind of response to that is yes, but it's out there where everyone can see it, so we could find all the flaws, <laughs> and. That is true, and it makes sense. But just as an example of how, even if that's true, it doesn't make for perfect software, and you still have flaws. I mean, look at something like Log4j. I mean, it's like this is an open source, you know, like Apache is an open source project. Anybody could have found that at any time, and yet that still, you know, became this like kind of like huge zero day out of nowhere. Like, oh my God, there's this flaw. And, and, you know, so it's like that happens on the open source side and on the closed source side, and it doesn't, you know, it, it doesn't matter. The, the number of eyeballs doesn't make the software perfect. Exactly. And I think it's a bit naive to think that any product team can can stay ahead of the the vast fleet of adversaries that are actually looking to cause harm against a, a specific product or service. So. In the notion of open source, I, I too am a proponent in, in making most code open source because then while you might be putting the code out there, it's also uh, allowing uh, like-minded individuals to contribute in a, in a positive way. Um, inside Adobe, we do have a type of similar feedback loop. Um, you know, the bug bounty program would be more considered like a shift right testing methodology, where it's you know testing after something has been pushed to production. Right. That being said, you know it's impossible for us to just stay in the shift right 
realm and just continually continuously swim up the river and just continuously bring in bug bounty reports and triage them and fix them and then close them and then a new one comes in if there's no kind of feedback mechanism to kind of stop the dam upstream aka like the shift left side you know fixing vulnerabilities and and systemic trends like that before it goes to production in the first place um that's going to be better for for everybody it's going to save us time man hours on the shift right side as well as um you know uh save on some bounty payouts if there's not as many vulnerabilities okay um you'd mentioned you know, bringing this back to Adobe VIP, you mentioned that it's invite only, but I, I I have seen that there is a there is a link to apply or whatever, um, which I will share in the in the blog post with with this podcast. But so so if if someone who's on HackerOne wanted to be in Adobe VIP, they would click this link, they would fill out the application. Um, my question for you is, are there specific things or like what what is Adobe looking for in a candidate? Um, for someone that would, you know, be a security researcher, you would want in the program. Yeah, we don't want to. I we don't want to have a high barrier to entry, make it seem like some exclusive club that like you have to be invited to and and um, things like that. So the barrier to entry is quite low. The the survey that you mentioned basically just asked some high level questions about your background, your hack, you know, if you have a hacker one profile. Um, what we'll do then after it's submitted is we'll take a look at your profile, see if you have you know some experience in web testing or uh, in similar companies that might be related to Adobe um, that you know we feel you would be able to strongly be able to contribute in our VIP program. Um, we do have intentions of scaling um, into the public side. However, we're working on some automation uh, internally to make sure that we're able to continue that high level of threshold for delivering a high customer experience um, as we do go public, because we would expect, you know, uh, as um, you know, when we do go from a private to a public bounty program, we would expect the scale of findings to increase. And we want to make sure that we we don't drop the ball there. Okay. Um... I, I, I'm actually going to change change subject entirely and go back to something I said before we even started recording, which is I'm I'm looking at the shelf behind you, mm-hmm. and top middle of the bottom shelf is that Johnny Sacco's giant robot. Uh, I think so. To be honest with you, that's my fiance's side of the office, and that's all her action figures. So I don't even, uh, I'm not really sure. Right. I recognize a couple well, of them from oh, Godzilla, but. <laughs> there, are, there are parts of it where I'm I'm, I'm, I'm uh, having flashbacks of Ready Player One, uh, the, the book, not the movie, because the movie left out a lot. But uh, yeah, I, like I, I think I see Ultraman, I see Johnny Sacco, I got Godzilla. Uh, yeah. A lot going on there. Um, all right, so. One of the other questions I had is like, is there any, you know, you talk about feedback loop. Um, is there any sort of cycle of taking something that, you know, like, so, so maybe you get, you get a report of a vulnerability uh, from the, 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 the standard hacker one platform. You go, you know, your, your, your engineers and Adobe go fix it. Would you maybe then share that, share the fixed version with the Adobe VIP community to say, hey, 
can you double check this and make sure we got this? Because actually one of the things that comes up a lot with bug fixes is fixing the symptom, not the cause. You know, so a lot of times it's like, well, yes, I fixed the specific thing you pointed out happens. I, I solved that. Um, however, not looking deeper to get at, okay, but yeah, but well, why did that happen? And the underlying cause is still there and I can just exploit it a different way. Um, so are you using any, any of that kind of like circular feedback? Yeah, that's a great question. Um, we, we definitely do. And one of the initiatives that our organization has been focusing on this year has been to reduce the amount of default credentials across Adobe. I think that's a systemic issue across many companies. It's just spinning up some server temporarily, throwing in like an admin, admin username and password for ease of use, forgetting about it. And then, you know, six months later, it falling victim to a, a zero day that's being exploited or an adversary finding the default creds and then, uh, you know, taking it to the bank. Um, so right now what we're doing is we're heads down some of our internal teams focusing on making sure we have coverage across the uh, entire adobe spectrum to make sure we don't have any default creds out there and then what we'll do is once we feel like we are at a level of confidence that we think we have a cover a handle on all of that we'll then turn to our bug bounty hunters and again offer maybe a 2x 3x bounty on any default cred that they are able to find in our systems and that would shine some light on gaps in our internal security testing coverage. Okay. Um, all right. Well, I don't have any other further questions personally, but I'll, I'll, I'll open the floor to you and ask if you have any uh, kind of parting thoughts or any sort of a, a pitch for uh, would-be applicants to the Adobe VIP program. Yeah, again, if anybody's interested in, in taking a look at the Adobe VIP program, definitely uh, uh, fill out that quick survey. It's only a couple of questions. Um, we're, I think every other week, basically on average, we're adding a new product or new service in scope to the VIP program. By the end of the year, we're hoping to have almost full coverage of the entire Adobe fleet of services and products in that VIP program. So as we onboard additional desktop, mobile web apps to our VIP program, we also definitely need to attract and and um, bring in quality researchers that are skilled in desktop, web, and mobile testing. So yeah, thanks so much for having me. Very nice. Thank you for joining me. Um, yeah, it was a good, uh, interesting conversation. Um, so I appreciate your time. I appreciate you investing your time to listen to the podcast, but I also invite you to engage on social media. Uh, please go like our Facebook page and follow at Techspective on Twitter and Instagram. You can feel free to let me know what you like, let me know what you don't like, let me know if you love it, let me know if it sucks, and uh, let me know what products you'd like to see reviewed or what uh, questions you'd like to see answered in future posts. 